0: To minute 103 of the Great Escape Minute, the daily podcast where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again is Father David Mowry, chaplain to the Movies by Minute community. Welcome back, Father David.
1: Now, if you ask me how far a podcast host dare go, whether he dare play God, I don't have an answer for you, <laughs> other than a podcast host shouldn't go that far.
0: Okay. <laughs> that works that works so uh, minute 103 begins with henley continuing to try to convince roger and goes all the way till roger tries to actually explain himself
1: i think henley makes a big mistake here where he doesn't try the classic but come on approach in all of his argumentation here
0: everyone else's parents let them go
1: all the cool kids are going. Oh, why do you hate me, British Dad?
0: And I, I think
1: uh, you
0: know Richard Dano would play that that part quite well. Also, you know he's not he's not in the grandfatherly uh, you know uh, mode yet. This isn't Jurassic Park or Miracle on Forty on Thirty Fourth Street, where you know mm-hmm. he, he's more of a, a grandfatherly type uh, character who who would let you get away with whatever you want. You know, even if it means playing with dinosaurs and stuff like that. (laughs) So a a
1: very specific example, We yeah. need, need to do a little, little counseling here, Rob. You got, you got some dirty laundry we need to air out here? Nope, nope, none at all. Oh, none at okay. all. okay,
0: all right. Well, none very good. That's, 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 if, if he wouldn't have acted that way, we wouldn't have had Jurassic Park. So, you know, oh, or we wouldn't have had the that's problems true. in Jurassic Park. So there you mm. go. Yesterday, we, we continued the, the uh, debate between Henley and, and Roger about uh, whether Blythe should go. And we, we pointed out the fact that Blythe is just sitting there, you know, as a dumpstruck child. Letting, letting the two parents just, uh, have this, this argument above him. At the tail end of yesterday's minute, we discussed the fact that Henley just saying that he knows that Colin has thought about getting back to his family and children establishes the strong connection between the two of them and mm-hmm. the, the fact that they've apparently had deeper conversations about their families and, and their, their hopes and dreams and stuff like that. And this minute continues with that because... Basically, the, what Henley continues to say here is he goes, well, uh, I've also thought about it. And, and then he, he says something very interesting. He says, we think we can make it all the way. Okay? Which mm. which is a very interesting way for them to put it. Because, you know, mm-hmm. here you have these these two characters who've, who've been in the same room. They've been roommates for, for a few months. They've obviously had a lot of time to talk. And they've discussed... Uh, you know, there the are different plans for how they're going to try and escape. Apparently, but the fact that he uses the, the the phrase "we" here says so much about 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 Henley's character and his connection to Colin, and it also explains why he's advocating so much for for his friend here. Yeah. You know, yeah. they've they discussed yeah. this this aspect. So you see, even that, that's one of the things I love about going through a movie minute by minute is that you can you can really try to to. Uh, cling on to, to to these different ways the phrases and the ways that ways that people say certain things because there's so much insight into it and when you're watching this movie normally you wouldn't necessarily catch something like this you know right you would you would you you would you would hear him say we think we can make it but you you wouldn't really question it you just let let it uh, continue moving along just with that now is it possible
1: that the British influence is rubbing off on Henley a little bit, and he's using the royal we because he's so impressed with the, the British royal family, and he's grown in some self-importance, perhaps. So we think that it is best that we go according to our plans. Our ways are not your ways.
0: It's very possible, but I don't think that that, <laughs> that, that King Edward VI, who you know was a stutterer. Would would have said it this this way? Who he was, you know, he was the royal we at the time. Oh, that's right. He's, he's basically I recently just cursed. cursed just all this movie yeah. is happening. You're right. That's right. I recently, no, he's already cursed for for a few years. I recently ah. re- rewatched the the, the the King's Speech. I have it very fresh in my mind. So it's uh-huh. funny that that actually came up. But no, the, everything that happened in the King's Speech happened in 1939. It happened before the the the, the declaration of war. From. Oh, the King's been swearing for years. Okay, all right. That's right. Got he's, it. he's continuing to swear with Lionel. Then you know, The, the no
1: other way. possibility is that we, we think we can make it all the way. Yes, that speaks to Henley and Blythe's relationship, but I think there's also uh, a window into a small group of people in the camp who all share this same aspiration. I think there are the career escapers, those who are going to do their officer's duty to harass the enemy and, and are okay with getting caught again because they're just trying to make life difficult for the Germans but I think there are also the dreamers, the romantics who are a part of this escape who think this time we're going to make it all the way. We're going to be able to get all the way back home and Hendley represents the, the romantic escapees, those who think they can make it as far as possible and have a goal beyond the instrumental goal of making life difficult for Nazis. Which of course is always a good goal.
0: Yes, but sometimes yes. we can have more goals. That's correct. You can you can mix up the goals together. Have, that's have right. A, a little why bit of this, both? a little bit of that. You know. Mm-hmm. No, that that that's a very valid point that, that that you're making. And that that's again, as I mentioned earlier, that's why I love uh, dissecting a film like this because there are, there are ambiguous meanings to, to this phrase, and they all actually make sense. Mm-hmm. You know and they they can give us so much insight into the things that happen to the characters between the scenes, yeah which which adds so much to the thing i mean they, they do a great job here developing these characters as is, and these phrases help even more there's no question about that mm-hmm. and at this point, Roger responds and says no, not colin he's been he's been he'll he'd be an appalling an appalling hazard to the escape. That must be my decision. Again, as I mentioned he's earlier his this foot week... down. Exactly. But as I mentioned earlier this week, I actually agree with Roger in this point because he's making a very valid point here. You know, yes, he wants to get home, and, and there are a lot of people who want to get home. You know, whether the we is referring to just the Henley and Colin, or if the we is referring to the royal we, or whether the we is referring to all the prisoners, regardless, Colin is in danger of of endangering everyone else. Right. And and
1: Roger is simply doing his duty as the commanding officer of this operation. He cannot out way or rather he cannot let the concerns of one individual outweigh the good of the whole operation and so he has to be willing to make these hard decisions to say this individual is too much of a risk to the greater good and we want to get 250 people out of this prison and that operation has a greater chance of success if we do not have a blind man trying to make that escape because it's going to mean that he's going to be difficult to just to get out of the place with the tunnels and the whole system that we see set up if if he was trying to navigate that while blind that would slow that operation down to say nothing of what happens if he actually gets out and now he's like i said uh earlier this week he'd be a babe in the woods almost literally (laughs) he'd he'd get right into the trees and wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a nazi gunner and a elm tree well if the elm tree
0: starts shooting back then then he can uh, sort of make a differentiation between them. But, but I think... I think not know.
1: I've met some pretty aggressive elm
0: trees. <laughs> I, I think what you said fits in with, can say that this is what Spock would say. You know, the, Spock's quote is, Log, logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. And Kirk, and Kirk responds, or the one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that fits in here because that that's the idea that we want to get as many out as possible. If, if, if some blunder happens and nobody gets out, then we've done this all for naught. And the yeah. idea is, is to raise the, the possibility of as many prisoners as possible getting out here.
1: Yeah. Now, here, here we are as armchair generals commenting on this operation, but it, if in the movie itself, as the audience member, your heart is pulled toward Blythe. We, yes. He's, he strikes a very pathetic figure And he's a very sympathetic person, and we want him to escape because he doesn't really belong in this setting. He's not a real military officer like Hendley or Danny or Willie are. He's a civilian who's been caught up in military service. And as the audience, we want him to escape because he doesn't belong there. Of course, we want everyone to escape, but we're uh, emotionally willing to overlook the logic of Roger's argument because, well, look at him. Look at the poor. He's just sitting there. He's helpless. He's just got that big egg head, and you you just want to give him a great big hug and tell him it's all going to be okay.
0: Exactly. But uh, again, the question is, is how, how is one supposed to look at this? Are we supposed to... I, I guess I like the fact that you can look at it from both perspectives.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You, know, you can see Colin's perspective, but you can also see Roger's perspective and you can see Henley's perspective. You should, we actually have three perspectives here. Even though Colin and Henleys are similar, they're not completely aligned Mm -hmm. because we don't yet know, you know, how Colin is actually going to be able to get around. And I have a feeling that Colin himself doesn't even know the answer to that question. Henley is advocating, but he hasn't at this point. You know, later in the week, he will actually give us a a suggestion as to how this is going to work. But but he's only forming right now the thought in his mind of how he, you know, of how this is going to work.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: because it's not been mentioned outright which uh, you know it it does leave the viewer with with a lot of questions and doubt as to how this is going to possibly happen Mm -hmm. and basically as you said Roger puts his foot down because he says this has to be this this must be my decision and again that goes back to what you were mentioning earlier this week about you know military command and you know the, the how that works and It's interesting that Roger's even debating this as opposed to saying, I'm the commander, this is it. There's no, you know, (laughs) there's no question here. Mm -hmm. You know, he's he's still allowing this debate to go on. I think it's more for for the audience, you know, to to give give the audience the different uh, variables and possibilities here. You know, yeah,
1: so uh, like Bartlett's rank is what? Flight commander. Bartlett flight leader? is
0: a flight, He's uh, squadron leader. Squadron leader. So he's
1: squadron leader. And do we ever establish what Hendley's rank is? Is he a captain? Yeah, we we know the ranks
0: of every one of these characters.
1: Okay, I'm just I'm just curious how close they are in the military hierarchy. Because if if Bartlett was talking to some ensign, just you know, to some fresh faced recruit, it would be listen here. Sonny, you got to listen to me because I'm your commanding officer. Is it because the Hendley is an officer of sufficient rank that they have more of a conversation around this?
0: Okay. Well, well, Rogers an OF three, which is a squadron officer, and Mm -hmm. and Hendley is an OF two. He's a flight lieutenant. So there is one rank between the two of them. I mean, there 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 is the Rogers basically one rank above him. Yeah. So they, according, so there's, according there's to some, what some I understand of, of the
1: whole thing, yeah, right. <laughs> like unless there's there's a whole cavalcade of ranks in between OF two and OF three that we're unaware of, but probably they're just one rank apart. So that plus the unusual circumstances of a prisoner of war escape demanding more. Uh, camaraderie and a little more consensus because you want everyone to be on the same page and everyone to go along with the plan because if one person is not on board, it's going to screw it up for everybody and you're stuck with them. You now You can't send them to another assignment. <laughs> it's not like other places in the military where you can get rid of problematic uh, officers. So maybe those things, uh, the closeness of rank and the need to get consensus and everyone on the same page is what gives Roger... Um, He gives himself permission to have more of a conversation around this. And and Roger gets very philosophical here, just musing on the nature of military command itself, because military commanders do have to make very difficult decisions that touch directly upon whether soldiers live or die. And that is a position I do not uh, envy anyone to have to carry out. The the moral calculations and the tactical considerations required in that are – very difficult, and even more so when you are completely within the control of the enemy. Now, the Luftwaffe have been very gentlemanly up to this point and pretty lenient when it comes to letting prisoners smoke and have chocolates in their rooms and steal passports and all that kind of stuff, but they could turn on a dime. You could get a new commandant tomorrow and life would be a living hell. So uh, Roger is trying to make the best of a very bad situation.
0: Right. So I, I just quickly looked through all the ranks of all the characters here, and what's interesting is is that the majority of the characters are either OF twos or OF ones. Mm-hmm. Then you have Ramsey, who's an OF five, and then you have there are two characters that are that are OF threes. You have Roger and Ashley Pitt, mm-hmm. which I never would have thought that Ashley Pitt was was uh, was so highly ranked. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So there might only be one rank between the two of them, but uh, apparently it's a, a big jump between them. Yes. Two. Yes. You know, by going uh, no from being a flight lieutenant to, to the squadron leader.
1: hmm
0: Yeah. So at this point, then, Henley brings up uh, the whole idea about hazard. He says, all right, you want to talk about a hazard? Let's talk about you. hmm You're the biggest hazard we have. The Gestapo has you marked. Now, just because the Gestapo has not marked, I, I have trouble following his logic here okay you're a prisoner in a prisoner of a camp, okay mm-hmm. if you get out so you're going to be you're a higher priority so i, I don't know how that makes it that they're a hazard i mean is, is he trying to say basically that okay let's let's talk about bin laden okay bin laden was was uh, you know one of the highest top 10 uh, fbi list or whatever you want to call it you know he, mm-hmm. was, he was number one so if bin laden was roger and bin laden gets out of a camp so there is is the logic here that he's saying okay if bin laden gets out then they're going to devote even more of their resources to trying to stop everyone because they want to also capture bin laden
1: who who all escaped oh 250 people escaped okay fine 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 but did bartlett escape no he's still here oh okay then never
0: mind no, that, uh, again, as <laughs> I think you reached my point that, that yeah. you know, that, uh, if anything, it, it would work uh, the opposite way, meaning that if Bartlett escaped, okay, we're going to even send more troops to try right. to stop them.
1: Now, I, I wonder, as I'm thinking about the rest of the movie, uh, and I don't know how firmly you hold to the movies by the minute covenant of not talking about future minutes, but
0: thinking
1: about what happens to the vast majority of the escapees – would they have met that kind of grisly end had it not been Bartlett who was in charge of that escape? Because they, they raised the stakes for him when he shows up at the camp. You escape, next time you will be shot. And the Gestapo make good on that threat by the end of the movie. Would Now, if Bartlett hadn't escaped, would the same punishment have been meted out to all of the escapees that they had rounded up? I believe
0: so. Mm. I, I don't think I, think... I think the idea was, was that the that the Gestapo felt the embarrassment of so many of these prisoners getting out. And that's mm-hmm. why they said, okay, we want to put a stop to this. And what we're going to do is, is we're, you know, we're, we're, we're killing millions of other people, so why not kill 50?
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. I wonder from Henley's point of view whether um, Bartlett escaping just puts other escapees at risk of being caught in the crossfire. Yeah. because they he knows that Bartlett is such a high priority target whereas hes he's just you know he's just an o f two uh, he's just some guy in the <laughs> in the british royal air force uh he's not he's looking out for his own neck perhaps
0: true but they're they're all going to be scattering in different uh directions i mean this is not yeah. that that they're all going out they're not going out in a group of mm-hmm. two hundred and fifty so again I, I have a little trouble understanding the the full logic i I realize why this debate is important because it's again telling the viewer something something bad could happen because Roger's part of this also but but I'm not 100% told that that's the main reason why it happened and, and you know it goes back to what you were saying before about you know the, the respect of command you know that, that uh, you have Henley say no one said you can't go now hmm. I, I wouldn't necessarily say someone would say that to their uh, you know to to their commanding officer that, that's something that's going to get you a slap and, uh, you know, uh, possibly even uh, a little bit of KP. <sighs> yeah, right. Um, and then Roger actually has a convincing argument back. You know, he says, that's true. I've thought a lot about the Gestapo. But if you're asking me how far a commanding officer is allowed to go, so again, he's bringing up the whole idea of, of military command. You know, the commanding officer is the one who makes these decisions. Or dare go, or should he be permitted to play God? As you mentioned, uh, I think you, we discussed this a little bit yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think it goes a little too far by saying the fact that he could play God, but it's the idea that, okay, every commanding officer or any any business manager, you know, it's not the same type of stakes, but, but you're the one who makes the decision of who's doing what. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just
1: imagining this same speech coming out of Michael Scott's mouth on The Office, and it is completely the kind of thing that I could see Michael Scott saying. How how far dare a regional manager go? Dare he play God? I can... Exactly. <laughs> so I could I could see that they played go. off for laughs, but yeah, the stakes would be far lower at Dunder Mifflin than they are at the Louvre Camp.
0: Correct, but it still it still goes with the same basis of. The, the, the manager or the commanding officer is the one who decides who's doing what task. The repercussions or the, the, the dangers of that task are, are obviously different, but, but it still falls into the same area of, you know, of, of in, I, I can understand why they use the phrase playing God, mm-hmm. because it's the idea of you're, you're saying, okay, I mean, there's something that, that uh, Saving Private Ryan deals so much with, you know, in, throughout the whole movie. About you know, sometimes you make you you have to just make a blind decision and say okay, you're going to go do this, you're going to go do that, and I, I guess hope for the best. That that's what it comes. With. You're going, you're going to choose the best person for that particular job, right? Hoping that they're going to succeed in doing that, and that's what that's basically what a commanding officer or a manager needs yeah, to I do. Mean, so, I, think, I mean, if I think you're the a dog talk
1: in, comes in because, like I said earlier, this touches upon whether soldiers live or die and that power of life and death we with reverence ascribe to god we see god as the author of life and as the, the only one who could have any claim to legitimacy when it comes to deciding who lives and who dies and so for someone with a limited perspective, even with as much information as Bartlett Bartlett has. He doesn't know how everything's going to play out. He doesn't know how this escape is going to go. And he's going to dare to play God to decide who lives and who dies based on the very limited information that he has. Still, someone has to make that decision. Someone has to be willing to examine what's available and make the choice that's going to serve the overall goals of this escape operation.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, it it, it makes sense. Rogers, Roger's explanation fits, especially in this type of situation. Mm-hmm. And he, he admits himself that he can't answer if what he's doing is the right thing or the wrong thing. But as a commanding officer, that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And what he can say, he says, like, I can't tell you what's going to happen to everybody. But what I can say is is that having a blind man is an unnecessary hazard. To both himself and to the whole plan, which again I, I have to agree with Roger on this point. Yeah, you know you have a blind guy stumbling around. And if, if part of the whole idea is stealth, that you want it to be, it's going to take as long as possible before the guards or, or the authorities are notified of the fact that you're that, that that you're escaping. So if you have a blind man, the odds are that that you're gonna you're gonna lessen that amount of time. Because he's just going to stumble around mm-hmm. until he, you know, until he gets caught, and he basically says that that that's the reason why he needs to just be eliminated from this operation. I, I, I think "eliminated" is is a very strong term mm-hmm. to use. Yes,
1: for. given the uh, camp circumstances, "eliminated" carries a little more weight than usual.
0: Yeah, and then they, they show us, you know, Blythe just like for a fraction of a second. Mm-hmm. And you, you see, he does have this this lost puppy so dog look sad. on his face. Yeah, like he he, he doesn't really, know. he doesn't, uh, he hasn't responded at all. Mm-hmm. He's he's letting Henley do all of his fighting for him here. It's still a great debate. They're they're, they're doing a good job here of of trying to to give the viewer uh, numerous perspectives on how this could could potentially. Yeah. Work. All right. Well, as we mentioned, this is Donald Pleasant's Appreciation Week. You want to highlight a different one of his movies every day, so what movie do you have for us yes today?
1: well I, I think people who've been paying attention could have seen this one coming and given my own professional interest it should come as no surprise that the next movie that i want to talk about that donald pleasance played a role in is the greatest story ever told released in beautiful cinerama in 1965 the original cinematic cut was four hours 20 minutes long and uh, Donald Pleasance is not the starring role in this, though. I would love to see his interpretation of Jesus of Nazareth. That would be a very interesting cinematic <laughs> role. No, rather, Donald Pleasance is not playing the main character. He is playing Satan in this role and appears primarily in the temptation scenes as Max von, von Sydow playing Jesus of Nazareth is uh, tempted by the obsequious and honey-tongued devil played by donald pleasance to give up on the task the god the father has given to him so I'm, this is a movie that perhaps uh, many of our listeners have already seen but i find it really interesting to see donald pleasance's range here where we get those hints of bond villain coming through in his interpretation of satan
0: i actually am one of those people who has seen this movie can't say that i really appreciate it but that could also be because of my religious background, uh, where I am not as familiar with the entire story as as you would be, you know, being being Jewish, <laughs> I like the epic aspect of of the the, the way they portrayed this. Oh story. yeah, this is I mean, big Hollywood. This ben is David. the mid
1: 1960s. Yeah. We are going big. These are the Marvel movies of their day. These big sword and sandal epics, and unfortunately, yeah. this when way of making movies is not and going David to Lee. hold for very much longer. <laughs> cleopatra's on the horizon oh no no cleopatra came
0: out beforehand didn't cleopatra come out in 63 was that
1: 63 i I always had 66 in my head i defer to your greater expertise yes you're right it it was 63 oh so we're we're already we're past we're past we're in the the beginning of the end here then with cleopatra we we have the slow downfall of these big movies i actually enjoyed
0: I actually enjoyed Cleopatra much more than I did The Greatest Story I Ever
1: Told. Well, if only you could go back to 1963 and spend lots at the box office because that's what the movie studios are paying attention to. <laughs> All right. Well, you have anything else for, for this minute? No, not for this minute.
0: Okay. All right. So you want to come back and spend Thanksgiving with us tomorrow?
1: Well, you know, I have a very full schedule, eating turkey and falling face first into stuffing, but I think I can make some time for my old friend Donald Pleasance on Thanksgiving Day. So I would love to come What back. about for
0: me? What about for all of our listeners? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, That's yeah, yeah. Pleasance, you you? and the
1: listeners too. Sure, of course. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'd love to spend
0: Thanksgiving with all of you. All right. So, why don't you tell everyone once again how they can get in touch with you? Uh, you can
1: find me on Twitter. You can reach me at Father Maury. That's at F R M O W R Y. And uh, I would love to hear some of your Thanksgiving recipes. What are some of the the foods that you put on your table? that uh, remind you of home
0: and make you feel real cozy. All right, great. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcatcher that you might be using to listen to this show. You can visit our website, thegreatescapeminute.com. Our Twitter account is greatescapemxm. Our email is thegreatminute at gmail.com And our Facebook group is The Cooler. So until tomorrow, tally-ho. Tally-ho. <laughs>